to No Filter, a 2FM collective podcast. Hello and welcome to No Filter, the podcast which features conversations with extraordinary women with extraordinary stories. Angela Scanlon is a television presenter known for presenting The One Show for the BBC, fronting Robot Wars with Dara O'Brien, and of course, a couple of documentary series for RTE2. She has fully established herself as a bright talent both in Ireland and in the UK, and is an all-round lovely gal. I recently went to visit her in her family home at Meath, where she was spending some downtime, and it was an absolute treat. And I'm not just talking about the scones. Angela Scanlon. Hello. Thank you for having me in your lovely ancestral home. <laughs> My ancestral home. Yeah, it does feel like that. I'm looking at that photo wall. With, I didn't yeah, even notice this. There's incriminating stuff going on there. Oh, you can look have at your a little peek later on. Photo. Oh yeah, yeah, that was a good day. So tell me about growing up here. We are in Meath. We're in Meath. In the sticks. Um yeah, so me, three sisters, and just schlepping around like it's different obviously I without me sounding like I'm 70 years of age but yeah we were just f- flying around up the fields building huts like quite tomboyish actually the four of us uh, I don't know whether that's because we thought oh dad really would have liked a boy we better up the ante here a bit and at least give him a bit of that um but yeah we were we were like busy bit wild like quite not cheeky but there was definitely a streak like we weren't these four perfect little uh, siblings for sure went to school here um went to uh yeah and then went to college went to DIT and did four years there what did you study I studied business well I say business because it's easier retail and services management um which was essentially a business studies degree but with a little like nod to um I guess that world because I thought at the time under you know pressure from my parents uh what are you going to do and I was like oh well that's kind of loose enough that I could do anything and because there was like a retail I thought I would open up my own place I was kind of half interested in fashion yeah or a chain or like a you know a label or yeah something like that so uh, but that was after many I mean there was a a long list of stuff that I was basically talked out of which was kind of funny uh, so yeah, like I wanted to be a dietitian. No, no, no. Oh God, no! You're just giving meal plans to old people. I was told. Okay, <laughs> cool. It's from a woman who worked in a nursing home, so I thought, cool, that must be it. Whereas I could have been Ella or whatever your woman is who yeah. has all those books and like you know all that stuff. Um, and then what else did I want to be? A uh, solicitor. Well, a barrister. I didn't really know the difference at the time. Mm. Ali McBeal, basically, I wanted to be. (laughs) Uh, And then I went to the high court or the four courts. Fell asleep. Not for me. Uh, Journalist. No, you get killed in the war torn countries. Mm. Um, Yeah. So there was there was quite a long list um, at the. But when I was a kid, it was like I want to be a businesswoman with my a a, a turquoise convertible businesswoman with my hair blowing in the wind. That is so specific. Oh yeah. Um, so, but you mentioned fashion there. You had an yeah. interest in fashion, and that's, I suppose, when I first became aware of you, fashion was Angela the thing. Scanlon was fashion. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I kind of, I don't even really know how that. Well, I, I wanted to do the boutique thing, so I went away traveling and like had my little notebook. I'll get these in Vietnam. I'll get them over there. I'll get you know, and create this store. Came back recession. 
uh, it wasn't really happening. And, my, you know, my head was a lot at the time in the clouds and I thought, I really want to open a boutique. I was going to open a cafe with one of my pals and then we realised uh, <laughs> there was a moment where we were going around, like, you know, looking at leases and talking to people. I mean, we hadn't been, so yeah. I don't know what we were even doing. <laughs> and then we both went in. There was a slight clash. I don't know whether it was going to work long term anyway, but we went in to a cafe to get lunch after our, you know, brainstorm and d- doing the chats with the old uh, auctioneers or whoever in those places and we went in and there was two ladies standing behind the desk and they had like the white kind of uh, suit like almost like butcher's uniform on with the little white hat and a hairnet and (laughs) Fanula my friend looked at me and I looked to her and she was like maybe we'll leave it will we? That was the turning point. <laughs> that was the turning point. Wow. And I thought, okay, yeah, no, this is this is not the life for me. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, so fashion, I, I got it. I was really keen to get into. I hadn't a clue how to do it. I worked, you know, I remember, because, you know, my family were not involved in that world at all. And so I was saying, I really, maybe I can do something in fashion. But it was so alien to me and so far removed from anything I'd done. And, you know, the kind of advice was well you know what just get like a normal job what are all the people you did in college with doing Uh, get a normal inverted commas job and then you know spend your money on fashion (laughs) I was like yeah okay but in my mind I was like I'd quite like to do a job that I actually like um and so I worked at you know filing and doing data entry I mean stuff that really uh, yeah mind-numbing desperate and I was really really miserable and I realized at that point that I I needed to do something that I liked because actually it was driving me demented and so um I spoke to a friend and I was saying about fashion she was like oh the loft and so I got in touch with the loft and I was like I'm I'll source handbags so I kind of did this while I was working in this data entry place sexy and um Mm yeah and so that's kind of how my fashion thing started and I was flogging handbags basically and um little bits that I'd pick up in charity shops or in different places and I kind of curate them for want of a better word and yeah and then one of the women there had a jewelry stand and a friend of hers did personal shopping in Dundrum and uh, she needed an assistant and she said oh I know I thought maybe you'd be interested I went met the girl uh, and then was assistant to her and then when she dropped down days I took yeah took that over so that was kind of how fashion happened for me and then I set up a blog for the Indo um doing fashion kind of stuff and and then expose you started doing tv and then did you immediately feel like okay no I love this yeah um yeah it was actually instant uh for me I was like wow um because the terror that I felt when I was when I was doing fashion and styling and all of those different things Mm -hmm. um initially I would I'd be awake at night I'd be awake at night with the excitement and anticipation of going to shoot the following day it was in my head all the time I was totally consumed by it and that had started to kind of peter off for me it felt slightly formulaic I felt I can I can do this quite easily you know I was never going to be the best I knew my limits and my kind of natural uh, ability and I was like I you know I like this I can do this but I don't think I want to be doing this forever and telly every time I did something it felt different the story was different the person was different um even when it was fashion and I was like there's a mild terror that I feel that really excites me and so that was kind of what I went after and then after a certain point 
was pitching fashion stuff and doing more of that kind of thing on telly and I because like you say people knew me for that they would ask me what should I be wearing and what and like this is kind of my uniform like a jumper and a pair of jeans or a t-shirt and a pair of jeans and I do I love to like dress up and enjoy that side of things but day to day and I was like you know I'd be at a wedding or I'd meet new people and all they wanted to talk about was fashion and I just thought I'm not I'm not interested enough in it yeah. for this to be the thing that Your defines life. me forever and so yeah I kind of started thinking okay maybe I'll do pitch and that's when I pitched documentary uh Oi Ginger which was off the back of I was in a meeting and I was like talking about a fashion idea that we had pitched and he was like yeah no I don't think that's going to work because basically this woman doesn't like you and she's not going to give you the gig and you know since she's a female then she looks after all the fashion stuff so I was like cool yeah that makes total sense anyway wow so basically I can't do anything for you even though I'd really like to but you know I have to defer to the lady on the lady stuff <sighs> and so I thought okay cool and I remember thinking, oh my God, this thing that I thought is going to happen is not happening. And um, and I said, oh, w- one more thing. I'd, I'd, I'd really like to do a documentary. And I just said, oi, Ginger, I had been thinking about it and kind of half formulated a tagline. And um, and he was like, okay, that's interesting. And then, yeah, within a few months, he had commissioned oi, Ginger. And that was kind of the start of my like telly yeah. journey, if you want to. So you made it happen for yourself. Yeah, but I think everyone does. Well, that's why I say it, because I think it's important to kind of explicitly say these things, because it took me a long time to realize that, that you have to make things happen for yourself, particularly, I think, if you work in media, but if you work in anything that's competitive, you have to be tenacious. You have to go out and, like, seek out your opportunities. Big time. Mm. And you have to make those opportunities and and build on them and take it, you know, take every opportunity at a point. And, yeah, like, be a little bit... ballsy I suppose it's not the right word but like yeah push yourself even if you're not quite sure because you're winging it I had a clue what I was doing and in hindsight it was the best thing I did I never studied media I had nobody like my family or friends that nobody was involved in that world and in a way that kind of ignorance meant that I didn't have this kind of you know it wasn't on a pedestal as much for me so I was able to email a commissioner out of the blue going you know google commissioner whoever and that and then pitch something when they could have been I mean most of them didn't respond to me but I was kind of thinking okay it's a, it's more about a hit rate here yeah. if I email 20 people someone might get back to me or they'll give me a steer somewhere else or whatever yeah. so I was quite um yeah used to and also used to rejection from pitching to magazines and writing stuff so it was kind of it was a numbers game to me initially at that at that point so so you were already trying you were already making kind of contacts in London as it were and then what would you kind of label as your big kind of London break break uh, the voice doing the vid- digital stuff for the voice mm. and the voice came off the back of a digital show that I had done that was a fashion thing a yahoo thing um and yeah the producer on that had moved on to uh, to the voice and I, w- I went to meet him and he said well we have we have something that uh, I w- I'd like to talk to you about and he said I've spoken to the commissioning editor at at the BBC and she's seen your stuff and you know if we go this direction we'd like you to to do it potentially and I was like well I had in my little notebook gone why the hell aren't you doing digital stuff for the voice I could do this this is what we could do la because uh, I was used to from expose producing my own stuff even yeah. though I didn't know that's what it was called really um and so 
yeah so then um that i mean that nearly didn't come off either because they were going to go with a blogger and i was like or a youtuber and i said cool you know she was like look it was lovely to meet you this exec and she said really nice to meet you but we're probably we're probably going to go with a youtuber for this and i thought hang on i thought we, i thought this was a done yeah. deal and so um yeah i, w- I went Went to the loo, gathered myself, and I came back and I was like, look, you're going to go with whoever you're going to go with. And I totally respect that. But, uh, you know, what a YouTuber can do versus what a broadcaster can do are completely different things. And I said, oh, yes. I was like, they're used to talking, you know, about themselves and about product and in a brilliant way, in a very engaging, intimate way. But I said, you have like people who have never been on telly or in the most tense stressful moment of their lives and you need somebody who can like make them feel at ease and get stuff out of them and she was like okay yeah cool I take your point and then god I love that so much Angela I know but I was whatever happened whether that had anything to do with it I don't know but I remember thinking like I had nothing to lose and I was kind of like you know there's there's a difference here between those right. two you're right yeah totally. okay so you made the voice happen for yourself yeah. and then that, yeah well that's lucky just, timing that's but yeah okay you do that <laughs> <laughs> and so then then what was next after that was it the one show or was it Robot Wars it was or was it something else Tea in the Park and the oh, BAFTAs yeah. so tea the BAFTAs I remember that I was like oh my god she's doing the BAFTAs <laughs> oh my god I know I had that moment myself I was excited um, for you I was very excited actually that was um yeah that was one of those oh my god yeah it was like full on um and brilliant and it was live I hadn't done much live at that point and it was the last uh the last live event that BBC3 ever transmitted so I feel responsible for that. <laughs> I'm not sure whether that's good think, or bad thing. I think there were a few other, a few yeah, other things a few other issues. There, yeah. Um, but yeah, so they, those happened. And then Robot Wars came uh, just at the kind of in the January, February. So just before I did the BAFTAs, I, I knew that Robot Wars was was cooking. Um, and then the one show I had done my first ever film in that December. So it kind of, yeah, felt like quite a quick. Yeah, it all started happening. Yeah. All the, all domino effect. Yeah, domino effect. Yeah. And so Robot Wars, you do with Darrow Brian. Is that brilliant? Yeah, it's brilliant. Good. It's brilliant. But just, um, I'm thinking back to, because I know people listening and you're saying that actually you need to work. And I, th- I do think sometimes people think, oh my God, that lo- it, it, it looks like it happened so easily. And the one show I went in to meet uh, with the producers and I had a, a they were like okay you know we really need people with ideas and I had spent a long time kind of watching the show studying the show kind of and I came in with a little notebook of a million ideas that he was like no done it mm, next and kind <laughs> of again I was used to that sort of rejection yeah um but yeah so I think yeah it's quite disheartening if you're listening and going oh well that's oh yeah you got that and that and that and that actually I I it doesn't happen as easily yeah, as that and I think you need not. to kind of yeah just be a bit prepared and hustle yeah. that's that's the thing and the one show seems like it's a lot of fun as well I mean you never know what you're gonna get <laughs> presumably yeah uh yeah it's I kind of think it's a bit like the late late show it is a bit. in that you're like okay um there's you know whoever Mel Gibson on one minute and then Ooh. yeah <laughs> um then some priest from Karaha <laughs> uh, so it's like yeah it's it's quite a mixed bag but that again unbelievable opportunity to sit and interview all these amazing people and then learn about 
birds. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. Barn owls and, yeah. you know, what more other stuff. What want in life. Yeah. And, and it's live. And there's so few places to kind of really, like, uh, get that level of experience as well doing doing live telly yeah. um which i love yeah so what's the dream gig what is the dream gig i think the dream gig is like big big noisy entertainment show so like life something like x factor or got talent or yeah like one of those. yeah but so maybe not those shows specifically. Not like those shows specifically, of. yeah. But that kind of, uh, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. I think I would, I would love that, like that big, because Robot Wars has a sense of that massive, like production, yeah, yeah, and um, and I love that side of things, and yeah, the live element. So that kind of, and if I can continue doing interesting docs and bits and pieces alongside that, that would be dream gig well listen I mean mm. I can see it happening I feel like you're edging ever closer edging. I'm like boxing my way towards it <laughs> so you recently shared some big news yes. with the world that I cannot believe you managed to keep this a secret for as long as you did you are six months pregnant I'm up the door yeah yeah um yeah <laughs> <laughs> I know. Weirdly, it feels like now that people know and are kind of talking to me about it, you can hear the croak of my voice. <laughs> I'm getting nervous. Have a drink of water. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> it's kind of yeah, it's a it's a reality now because up until that twelve weeks, we were like we hadn't told anybody, and and that's hard for me to keep that kind of a secret. Yeah. So I kind of you know I didn't really call many people. I was yeah. like I'm just gonna stay people underground. People were like, oh, has been a bit weird. And yeah, she's totally like what a dick. Um, and so yeah, then I told people every time I saw someone, I was like, by the way, um, it, nobody knows yet. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know what to say. I'm like very private, and I was really torn about how the whole thing would happen, and I feel kind of weird that you know would people feel funny that I didn't say it for so long and then why it's none of their business kind of thing yeah. so yeah it it took me a while to yeah because that's what I was going to say when you I saw on Instagram stories after you put up your announcement you yeah. said that you you'd been really a bit scared about announcing it yeah um I don't know why I I mean in a similar way to the, the wedding when I was waved off I've always kind of slightly um struggled with things that make me feel like a grown-up in inverted commas and this feels like you know pretty much as grown-up as it gets although then look you know I speak to all my friends who are parents they don't it doesn't change you but in my mind I was like oh my god does this suddenly mean I'm you know a different human kind of um and and yeah I don't know I guess the the kind of scrutiny I remember my sister saying keep it under your hat as long as you can because your head will be absolutely melted because all anyone will want to talk to you about is that so there is and there's a touch of that that I'm realizing now yeah that's definitely true in my experience Mm -hmm. um and also everybody wants to give you advice advice yeah yeah which is fine if it's people you know and love but if it's like someone on the street it can be a little bit hard to take you should do this have you thought about this kind of birth yeah I haven't got much of that yet but and actually I was so overwhelmed after because I did put on Instagram stories and I was like oh my god this is mad because I suppose in the same way as that like when anyone shares good news you're excited yeah Yeah. and I kind of just didn't really uh I didn't really expect it I suppose and um it was lovely Mm. 
It's, yeah, I mean, it's great. It's so great to, when people are excited for you. But there is something weird that happens when you get pregnant and when you become a mother. You kind of, and, and I know we do public jobs anyway, but you become like almost like public property. And I find that really hard to deal with. As in people pawn the bump. Yeah, well, that, but also people um, having opinions about what you're doing and yeah. like, uh, like, so much unsolicited advice really tricky stuff and and it can be a bit scary like I definitely felt like like for example okay one thing that I haven't really spoken about publicly is I I really wanted to breastfeed um my whole pregnancy I was like I'm gonna breastfeed I'm gonna breastfeed I'm gonna breastfeed um when Sam was born he was in the neonatal unit for a few days and by the time I got him back he was not interested Mm -hmm. um you know they have this they have this thing they say like nipple confusion yeah okay if you don't get to feed straight away it can cause this problem and then also my nipples just didn't really cooperate and there were just a few different things and I had so many people help me yeah so many people like and when I say help me just to prepare you Angela okay go like when they help you you are I mean they they're tugging at you they really are really yeah it's mad I warned every pregnant friend I have about this okay I just crossed my legs there which has nothing to do with my nipples being tugged you don't care because you just want it to work but but it (coughs) is mad so anyway I had I had lactation consultants I had everybody and nobody could get Sam to feed and eventually I did get him to do it but only with using nipple shields which are these oh yeah yeah yokes that kind of turn my sister-in-law used into bottles basically But then I was trying to hold the hold the nipple shields and hold the baby and like hold my boob because my boobs are ginormous and like it was just it was really, a really hard. Yeah, it was yeah. really hard. And I did it for for a, a few months and then it was just too hard. And I started expressing um, milk uh, like through a pump. And I did that yeah. for like until he was about four and a half months old. And then finally I was like, I can't do it anymore. And yeah. I just gave him formula. And I felt I have never I haven't. The reason I haven't spoken about it is because. I was so afraid of judgment. I was so afraid that people will give me crap about it. And I was so sensitive about it. Yeah. Um, it's There's just a kind of moral value in every decision that you make once you're a mother. And other people are deciding whether or not you're good or not. And you already feel like you don't know if you're good or not. So it just makes it so much harder. Totally. But I also think people always judge people by their own experience like through a prism of their own experience and so someone's like oh I really wanted to have a natural birth which you know it's not an ideal name for it like anyone any way that gets the baby out safe is natural whatever um but yeah I really want a natural birth but actually I did an elective c-section in the end because I was breech or whatever and it was the best thing I've ever done and suddenly that becomes their new like nugget of advice so the thing that they wanted to do before irrelevant definitely go for the section which I think in a way is is their way of protecting themselves from perceived judgment for having done that thing that they you know maybe shouldn't have done in somebody else's eyes and so I kind of yeah grain of salt I mean I have a breeze of what I'm doing and nobody does yeah but that's what I'm kind of finding out people are like yeah dude none of us know what we're yeah. at so it's kind of back to that fake it till, <laughs> till you make it yeah. thing so it's I'm a secret to a successful life I, I really think so that. it's like just you know water off ducks back have a go see yeah. what happens and um, they're very hardy babies yeah you know? <laughs> yeah and I have three nieces and nephews um that are next door right now and so I feel like initially when the first was born oh my god it's like this little you know chicken <laughs> that felt so delicate mm. and then you realize actually yeah they're they're quite sturdy yeah big time yeah anyway I can't I could, there's no going back now <laughs> well that's it yeah but it is really exciting and actually it's um it's yeah it feels like a whole new kind of uh 
new dimension, which is nice. I, do, I just need to figure out how to kind of, you know, give like the little arm's length push because initially I was like, you know, when you work in any way freelance in this kind of world, people are like, oh, oh, and what are you going to do about work? Will you take, you won't, will you take maternity leave off? Oh, you'll have to take maternity leave. Oh, you can't take too much maternity leave. And I was like, okay, do you know what? I don't even know what I'm doing. So don't start asking me about what I'm doing next yeah. next year. So yeah, I kind of, and, and I think that was part of the reason why I didn't say it because yeah. I thought as I was telling people, even people close to me, they were projecting all of their kind of fears for me about what might happen. And I thought, you know what? There's enough of that going on in my own head without you yeah. adding. So I've just kind of, I'm just doing breezy and see what happens. I mean, it is a bit nerve wracking because I suppose, especially for you, because you wonder about perception and like, you know, will, yeah. will that mean that people won't be considering you for jobs and that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. And that definitely came into it. And I think I was kind of like, does this, you know, I'm still at a relatively early place in my career. And so have I suddenly gone from being, you know, up and coming to being like settled in their minds and so yeah that was definitely it was definitely uh I mean concern feels like too strong a word but it was it was in my mind for yeah. sure and now I think you know all of the people that I love and admire and I watch and I listen to um you know have a lot of them have had families it's certainly not a something that detracts from their career it kind of adds to it um so how have you been feeling uh, so t- the first 12 to 20 weeks uh, it's a large gap it is quite yeah <laughs> uh, well so at 12 the 12 week mark I was like boom woke up can't remember I was away somewhere and I was like it's just magically lifted this hideous na- nausea that I'd had for weeks and um and that lasted a few days and then it came back mm. so up until yeah 20 maybe and after that yes yeah, so the last few weeks I've been feeling human again mm. um so before I let you go um I you posted recently um you shared some of the comedian Neve Marin's posts yeah. she had written some posts on Facebook about some horrible experiences she had had as a woman in the comedy circuit yeah um to do with men making unwanted sexual advances promoters and the like people in positions of power in the mm-hmm. world of comedy um and i and i saw that you had shared those on your instagram stories and also written about them on instagram what made you do that um i guess when i read them it was on facebook and i was like shit I I met Neve a few years ago when I had first moved over to London. We have a mutual friend and I really liked her. And uh, and I've not seen her since actually, but I kind of would follow her from afar. And I just remember thinking like, what a shitty thing to have to deal with. And I know I have a lot of friends who are comedians and I know that it's notoriously uh, difficult environment for women and not particularly kind it's changing it feels like but I mean slowly slowly and partly because quotas have been introduced which people are really like obnoxiously resistant to on some uh, some levels and yeah I just kind of thought that there's a little bit of responsibility and I try not to get uh, to and I can say things that I regret, I suppose. And so I try to be a little bit mindful, but I was like, there's nothing that I will regret about about this. Like, why why are we condoning and, and dis- excusing and dismissing behavior that's like vile yeah. as 
bleh, par for the course, you know? Yeah. It's par for the course. So yeah, I I just posted it partly because I couldn't really believe the stuff that I read and actually all of the responses that I got privately and and in my like feed or whatever were just like, is this for real from men and women? Because I think, you know, you'd like to think that normal men are as uh, appalled by that sort of behavior as as women are, mm. you know, so it's kind of OK, if you can sh- shed a bit of light on it, make a little bit of noise around it, maybe it will just make somebody think or make the people who are doing it feel like their time is coming to an end i presume like everyone else you've experienced something be it minor or i I mean i think everybody has and in some way what i what i've noticed since it's all since everything has come to light is that actually you find you you notice them and you think that has clearly happened to me on loads of occasions and I've just kind of gone oh yeah whatever whereas now I go like yeah I think you're just more aware and less likely to accept it and that's a good thing I mean some people will be made an example of which again is is the way it happens but yeah I think I think it's right if you're if you behave like this you shouldn't be exempt because you're funny or popular or minted or whatever it might be you know if you're a creepy pervert you know you should be held to account wherever you are for the consequences absolutely i could not agree more thank you so much thank you the collective 2fm